What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Vivali, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, just wildly astounding and intelligent (laughs) co-host, Andy Bailey. These superlatives are just getting better and better. And There's I always like, change the order of spectaculario and fantabulous, oh, which I, I guess is okay because they're not working. Those two, I always thought the first four or five were in the same order every time, but maybe it is a little bit different. I start to switch. Once we get to fantabulous and spectaculario, no holds barred. Anarchy. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Before we get started... Uh, and we're going to spend this podcast picking our all-rookie teams. We gave you kind of a taste of our first-team selections, although Andy already changed his all-rookie first-team selections since that mailbag, so that's great. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We, again, are trying to get to 403 uh starred reviews because we we need to beat Stephen Curry's single season record for three pointers. It doesn't matter that it's taken us more than one season to beat it. We just want to get there. But you could also help us beat it in a single season by if you get it to it by the next podcast, which would be probably this is coming at you on Friday, so maybe Monday or Tuesday. I would count it. I don't know about Andy, but I would count it. If we got As like always, 400 reviews in 3 days, I'd count it. Yeah, I'd count it too. So here you go. That's your challenge to the – I don't even think we have 400 listeners, but uh, we do have 400 listeners. I'm, se- I'm actually selling us short. I should stop doing that. We are very appreciative of the number of streams and downloads we continue to get per episode. But it would be great if all of you who even listen to this for a second can head over to iTunes. Give us that review. Lastly, you can still get 15% off at the NBA Math shop that's mbamath.com slash shop we have some great designs over there just punch in the promo code benno b-e-n-o before we dive into this though andy i have to ask you a question that i think we've asked all too often on this podcast what, what do you make of this latest kyrie irving injury news um i don't know i mean it's not that surprising right there was talk of him even before the Cavs trading him of if him possibly needing surgery. And then Danny Ainge said, what, two or three weeks ago that this, he might have knee problems that he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his career. Um, I, I think it's certainly a bummer that it, that it had to get to a point where he had to have surgery. That's going to keep him out for 
several months, but um, I don't know. At least it, it's not shocking to me. My my one thing right now is I just hope it's not chronic nagging problem for the rest of his career because when this guy's healthy, he's obviously one of the most dynamic and offensive players in the NBA. I just I hope it's not that. Do you think? And I'm I'm just gonna move on from there because I agree with everything you said. Do you think? the Celtics get out of the first round without him? Um, they've been really good without him in the last couple of weeks. They've, uh, I, I think I've gone back to Brad Stevens as coach of the year because of this most recent stretch. So I wouldn't be surprised if they still got out of the first round. At the same time, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a team like Miami, um, can Milwaukee catch them? I'm sure they can, right? Milwaukee can still finish seventh. Yeah, that, that's like a three-team brigade right now with the Washington Wizards, Miami Heat, and Milwaukee Bucks. I could see, I could see any of those three teams beating uh, Boston without Kyrie. I, those are almost like a pick'em to me at this point. I would probably rather face Miami. I know they have a great coach in Spo, and Milwaukee's been, I think, pretty poorly coached all season. But I don't. Yeah, their go- their thing is they just have Giannis. Right, and if you go up against Milwaukee or Washington, you know there's almost no chance that you're going to have the best player in the series. Yeah. When you go up against Miami, Al Horford could still probably be the best player. After that, for me, would be Washington because I actually – Bradley Beal and John Wall, they've each taken turns of being spectacular in the playoffs, but I think you could still put Al Horford on their level. And then I, I just wouldn't want to face Milwaukee even though they've been arguably the worst of the bunch all year just because of Giannis. Yeah, I I feel like I've been waiting for Milwaukee to break out all season because of him. And if it comes in the playoffs, then, you know, that'd be cool. But um, like I said, I, I think it's just sort of a pick 'em for me between Boston and any of those three teams. I it, I would have a hard time. I'd have a hard time picking any of those, to be honest with you. The And the thing that's going to kill them, even if they get out of the first round, they won't get through the second. I would I would be shocked, beyond shocked. If they got out of the second round somehow, yeah. If they play Cleveland in the second yeah. round without Kyrie, my goodness, or Philadelphia, they're and they're like, I just don't know what they do in crunch time. Their offense since Irving has went down, not in crunch time, but overall has been close to bottom five in efficiency. It's a lot better without Horford in the game, but down the stretch, when you look at three hundred and thirty nine players have played in at least five games that have entered crunch time this year. Irving's usage rate in these situations is second only to LeBron's. Yeah. And that they're just so Tatum, dependent. I have, I have some numbers on him since Kyrie went down, but I'll wait till later to share those. But even with Tatum sort of elevating his game lately, it's, it's still there. There are definite questions to be answered in crunch time without Kyrie. Yeah. And you just look at like, do you know who, is Irving is first on the team in pull-up jumpers per game and isolation frequency. The same player also ranks second in both those categories. Can you tell me who that player is? I'm going to guess Rozier. It's Marcus Morris, which is a problem. <laughs> I did not. I was thinking Rozier, Tatum, Brown, maybe. I, I was not thinking Marcus Morris. So, like, that's he. I'm not saying he's their second option, but that's how unaccustomed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are to operating even in something close to Irving's role. Yeah, that could be problematic. Like you said, it'll 
I could see them just like locking down defensively in the first round and escaping that. But yeah, second round is going to be a nightmare for them. With that, though, um, I, oh, I, I want a definitive pick. Do they get out of the first round, yes or no? Um, I'm going to say no. Just I'm going to say yes. Because I have I wanna, three yeah. options on the no side, so I'm going to go with no. I'm going to say yes just to go against you. I appreciate that. Um, now we get to dive into – you want to start with all-rookie since we kind of already touched upon that um, in our the previous mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so let's should we go through this one at a time or five at a time? I'll, I'll say one at a time. I'm making the executive decision. Um, first team all rookie. I think it's. I'm, I'm sure we both have this guy on there, Ben Simmons. Nope, Markel Fultz. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I tweeted. Um, and just as a day. note, rookie teams do not take into account oh, positions. When we get to all NBA defense. We have to worry about positions there. But here, if we want to pick all forwards, all guards, we can. We didn't, but we could. I'm glad you clarified that. Um, but I have Ben Simmons, and I tweeted this the other day. There, there's a bunch of different ways that you can explain uh, Ben Simmons' uniqueness and his just insane production. But I just thought I'd look this up the other day. His totals for points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Uh, the only player, not just rookie, the only player in NBA history who matched all five of his totals in a season was Michael Jordan in 1989. And they're tied in blocks. So if, if Simmons gets one block over these last five games, which he will do, um, he'll be the first player in NBA history to hit his totals for points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. He literally does everything. Uh, he, he just insanely productive um there are still people out there on the internet who will say oh he doesn't he doesn't have a jump shot so he can't be that good the guy the guy produces, is trash right exactly the guy produces in literally every stat category you can imagine without having a jump shot i mean just imagine how ridiculous he might be if he ever develops like a 15 to 18 footer or even a three-point shot um my goodness i mean he obviously doesn't need it right now because he's doing things that no one else has ever done. He's he's a clear, easy uh, pick for first team. Yeah, I don't think that's a difficult decision to make at all. Like not not just not even close. I've been very impressed overall with his defense, and me too. I, I, he, he could have. There's a chance because first of all, I wouldn't know where to put him when we did All Star voting. I put him as a forward, but. Every positional designation kind of gives him a, a guard distinction. I would have considered him for all defense. I came very close to putting him on I, there. I looked at his numbers for all defense, and I, I was close too. He has one of the best defensive box plus minuses for rookies in NBA history. It's top 15, I believe. And so is, by the way, so is Daniel Tysus, just FYI, of yeah. Boston. Um, and the biggest, the other thing, and both of us have talked about this on Twitter on the podcast ad nauseum and it mostly comes i don't mean to insult the jazz fan base but it mostly comes from jazz fans <laughs> about or maybe not so much recently i think it's toned down oh his numbers without joel Embiid on the court so on the season overall now on the season the entire season when ben simmons plays without joel Embiid, the sixers are a plus three points up uh, 0.3 points per 100 possessions if you're going to, as a rookie, play 
to better than a stalemate without your team's best player on the floor, that is you deserve like that's a tip of the cap. And they've been and this has been the stretch that basically fueled it. They've been even better over the past few months since February 1st, the Sixers. And this is again, Ben Simmons since February 1st has played more minutes without Embiid than he has with Embiid. The Sixers are a plus 10.8 per 100 possessions when Simmons plays alone. That's crazy. That's just, and again, this that's probably more rookie of the year, but that just reinforces why he's on the all-rookie first team. All right, the next guy I have is his lone competition for rookie of the year, and I'm not sure. I mean, I personally probably wouldn't qualify it as rookie of the year competition, but I think some people still would. Um, Donovan Mitchell, another obvious choice for first team all rookie to me somebody asked me this question on twitter the other day and i looked it up um and i can't remember who it was now so i'm sorry but he asked how many rookies in nba history scored over 20 points per game for a team that finished at least 10 games over 500 and i thought that was an interesting question um so i found the list it's david robinson tim duncan larry bird hakeem olajuwon kareem abdul jabbar Wilt Chamberlain, Walter Davis, and Donovan Mitchell. If Utah does indeed finish 10 games over 500. Um, that's an insane group. I think beyond the numbers with Mitchell, there's a leadership quality with him. For, for a rookie to, to take the scoring load onto his back the way that he has um, is super impressive to me. I think Gobert and Ingles and Rubio obviously deserve a ton of credit for the season turnaround. But none of those guys um, are the kind of scorers who can sort of – you have to have a guy who can go out and get the buckets in isolation and, and other situations like that. And Mitchell is that guy. For him to be doing it as a rookie is super impressive to me. What do you think his ceiling is on uh, – first of all, the company he's in, it's so interesting that it's there are – guys for the most part. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, what do you think his ceiling is on the defensive end? Um. I'm going to say the same as his over. I, I think, like, physically he has the capability to be sort of Dwayne Wade-ish, don't you think? I mean, he's obviously not. It, it's hard to see him there now, but just the the body profile is similar to me and the athleticism. I, I could Wade see it. had I some see peak him. years where he was very good on defense. Yeah, I could see just because he doesn't – Donovan Mitchell doesn't have the injury track record that Dwayne Wade did coming into the NBA, I could see him being better than that. That would be spectacular. Please give me that. And in this NBA, there's there's almost kind of no telling how many positions he's going to end up guarding because 6'3", and he's he's like... He's got like a 6'9 wingspan too. I think he might even have to play some to, to defend some threes over the course of his career. Right, and that was going to be my point. And he's just stronger and a little bit more explosive than I think... Some people realize, and we talked about that going into the slam dunk contest uh, or before the when we, we were advocating for him to be in the slam dunk contest. It was like, well, everything seems to be kind of a straight shot with him when he dunks. But he's just uh, – his lateral movements, he can just be so quick and he's all over the place. It's like watching a pinball on defense sometimes, and you don't see that a lot on the defensive end. On offense, you see it all the time with guys who move off the ball. But I don't think you see it on defense as much. I think I misspoke. His wingspan is actually 6'10", according to NBA.com. So it's even longer than I thought. 
Yeah, I think he's got a pretty high defensive ceiling too. I'm guessing you had him there as well. Yes, he is. I also had him on the first team. That you I think that do was the next one. Yeah, uh, I think this was another easy pick, and it's just Jason Tatum for me. Yep. Um, I, a lot of people are what they've used as a knock against him is just how his shots come. Twenty percent of his offense comes in transition. He gets a ton of his offense from spot ups. The Celtics run the equivalent of a league worst offense when he plays without Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. Like I, I get all that, but he's been for most of this season just hyper efficient. And he so more than fifty percent of his offense come from spot ups and in transition. He's averaging between those two, 1.2 points per possession of of those possessions. So you're averaging 1.2 points per more than half of your offensive possessions. Yeah. That's nuts. And let's and, fault a player for playing for a smart coach who who gets him the right opportunities to score. <laughs> right. And it, I just – he's – and to me, he hasn't – I don't know what ultimately his defensive ceiling will be, but he's been better there than I expected. You can have him defend both forward spots. He's okay on closeouts. I don't think he's ever going to be as switchable as Jalen Brown is because you can throw Brown on more pick-and-roll ball handlers. You can throw him on actual point guards. You wouldn't want to do that against Jason Tatum. But he's he doesn't he doesn't hurt your defense, and I think and I don't. I shouldn't even say hurt your defense because that just undersells it. But just for a rookie, he is someone who can help your defensive makeup. And I think what is really going to be big for him is I could just see him being the guy for them who will eventually guard these bigger wings and and not only live to tell the tale but kind of thrive in those situations. He hasn't been a great post up defender this year. He hasn't had to defend many post ups, but you can get more minutes from him at the four. Or against you can run smaller for longer would be my point against teams that might be running bigger because he seems like he will have that strength and girth to to guard those larger opponents. I think next year they can play tons of minutes with him, Brown, and Horford, or not Horford, Hayward, basically interchangeable. Because I think all three of those guys have that capability you were just talking about to defend some fours and stretches, especially as other teams get smaller. Uh, I have Tatum here as well. He's another obvious one to me. I agree with all of the points you made. The number that I looked up for him, since Kyrie left the rotation with an injury, this is 11 games, uh, Tatum's averaging 17.2 points, 5.6 rebounds, 1.43, over two assists, 49% from the field, 41% from three, and almost a 60% true shooting. So he's had to elevate his offensive game in the absence of their go-to scorer. Um, And yes, they still have problems down the stretch, like we talked about in the opening when we talked about Kyrie. But um, he is – he's a lot better than I thought he would be. I I will just leave it at that. I, I, I understood the trade at the time when they traded down to get Jason Tatum. But at the same time, I thought, man, you're passing up on this talent that everybody thinks is just sort of this consensus number one. And I scratched my head a little bit, but Danny Ainge has made very few mistakes in the last few years. And it looks like he, he won that one too. 
Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see where that Kings pick ends up because they're probably not going to get the That's Lakers true. pick yeah. this year. It'll be interesting to see where that Kings pick ends up. And there's still a TBD there, obviously, because Marco Fultz just returned. Um, I, 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 Everything you said there, yeah, it, it hits for me. If we're going to move on to the fourth guy, I'm actually just saying him because I know we both have him. Lonzo Ball, for me, which I'm sure is going to rattle a ton of feathers. <laughs> He has been so much better defensively than advertised. It's it's just it it verges on absolutely insane. He's good at breaking up plays from behind. He can guard some of the bigger players. I don't know if you're ever going to want to put him on small forwards, but he helps in the sense that the Lakers defensive rating with him and Isaiah Thomas on the court was about league average, which if you can say that while having a dual guard back court with Isaiah Thomas, yeah, that's like, yeah, that that's huge to me. He blocks a ton of shots for a point guard. Uh, he, he's really good at kind of manning the passing lanes with his long arms. And to have someone who's already a trend, I think he's a transcendent passer. His jump shot has kind of looking at, his three-point range anyway, it's waxed and waned all year. He's clearly not as bad or as inefficient as he started off the season. And the fact that he's taking more than six three-point attempts per game over his last 35 games, so basically half the season, and given the time he missed, it's really more than half the season because this is dating back to mid-November, that he's shooting them at all is is a good sign to me. You want his motion to be a little bit quicker, but I don't think this should have been a situation where there's a rush to change his form. It's not it doesn't it's not it's not good aesthetically. It doesn't it's not fun to watch necessarily, but he did shoot a fairly high clip when he was at UCLA from deep and you should try and let him kind of work through the motions. He's had stretches where he's shot over a couple weeks, 40% from three, 38% from three. So I, I think his first team selection is more than deserving. And, but I will say it, a large part of it is just on the back of his defense. Guess where he ranks among all guards in defensive real plus minus, not just point guards, um, point guards and shooting guards. Um, I'm going to say 14th, fifth, Wow. Ben Simmons is fourth. Um, both of those surprised me. I'm with you. I, I think defense is a huge part of why he's here. The shooting numbers are easy to point out. I've done it plenty of times over the course of the season. I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Um, but you have a guy who literally does everything else on the floor. Um, passing, defense, rebounding. It's just it, he's incredibly well-rounded, and, and if he ever even gets to like league average as a shooter, um, he's one of the best players in the league to me. Players in NBA history who matched uh, his current assist and block percentage for a single season, so assists and blocks. LeBron did it four times. Dwayne Wade did it four times. Draymond did it four times. Tom Borwinkle, Nikola Jokic, Ben Simmons, and John Wall. That's the whole list. If you add rebounding percentage to the mix, you take Wade and Wall out of the equation. So guys who match his assists, blocks, and rebounds is LeBron James, Draymond Green, Tom Borwinkle, and Nikola Jokic. Um, incredibly elite company. 
especially and it's especially crazy when you consider the fact that Lonzo's six six. Um, the shortest guy other than him in there is Draymond, who's six eight, and LeBron's six eight too, I should say. Um, it's incredible what he can do at his size. I think he makes his teammates better. I, I think he's in for a long and impressive career. Anything else on Lonzo? Nope. All right, I'm going to take us to my fifth, and I think this is where we will finally um, have a disagreement. I've got Kyle Kuzma fifth um, on my first team all-rookie. He is seventh. Yeah, he's seventh in in real plus-minus wins among rookies. Um, I gave him the slight bump up into the first team just because I think he's had to – shoulder a bigger load than, than a lot of the other rookies this season. He's second among rookies in scoring. And here are the rookies who matched Kuzma's scoring average and effective field goal percentage in their rookie season. David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon, Bill Cartwright, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Webber, and Stephen Curry. Um, very, very elite company. His defense obviously leaves a lot to be desired. I think we've brought that up a couple times um, on the podcast in the past, but he has a huge offensive role for a team that I think is better than a lot of people expected. Um, so I'm, I, I think volume is kind of what's pushing him into the uh, first team for me. He has been ridiculously efficient when looking at one-on-one situations offensively, he made my second team. So I'm just going to make my case for him here. He was, he was on my second. I didn't pick him for first team because I just thought that maybe he would develop more as a passer or potential pick and roll guy as the season went on. And the defense really um, did him in uh, for me in, in that sense. But if you look at what I, I've been really impressed with it, and again, these are numbers that have kind of ebbed and flowed as the season went on. But if you look at the 80 players who have appeared in at least 20 games this season and are averaging at least one isolation possession per game, so this is a sample of 80 players, how many more are averaging more points per possession than Kyle Kuzma? Okay, say the qualifiers again. Players who are ISOing at least once a game. Yeah, and they're and they've appeared in at least twenty games this season. Um, I'll say five. One, and it's James Harden. Oh, that's crazy. So that's what yeah, his offense has still been impressive. Out. Um, yeah, that's wild. I did not see that coming. Uh, do you have anything else on Kuzma? No, just his offense has been wild. Do you, I still don't think a lot of people remember this at the beginning of the season thought he would end up being better than Brandon Ingram, and there were jokes about Lonzo Ball. I ultimately don't think he ends up being better than either of them. Yeah, I probably don't either. Um, I was also I was going to say this while we were talking about Tatum. I made a lot of jokes during summer league about Kuzma being better than Tatum, and, and they were mostly jokes because I kept thinking the whole time that Kuzma was going to cool way down. And he he did it at a couple times, but he never he never completely fell off. I mean, and he's really recovered over the last couple months. I think. Who was your fifth for the first team? I went with OG Ananobi, which I guess some people could see that as controversial. He's not a volume guy. His usage rate 
is barely over 12. He's not a spectacular passer. He's not a great rebounder. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot, but his usage rate also isn't that high, and he's been a little turnover prone when they in on those rare occasions when he's handled the ball. I just respect, one, him owning his offensive niche right now. Um, when you look at his shot profile, he is taking basically more than 90% of his looks come at the rim or from beyond the arc. And his shooting has suffered at different points this season. He's still at close to 36% for the year. He's shooting over 38% from beyond the arc since the All-Star break. For me, though, what really gave him a strong case here, he shifted the tenor, the defensive tenor of Toronto's starting lineup when he was inserted for Norman Powell. There have been times this season, and particularly lately, where that starting lineup has not been good defensively, but Ananobi covers some of the toughest assignments. You see him on LeBron James. You see him guarding the occasional post-up. You see him going against players one-on-one in space. And to have someone who can guard that those bigger wings and then also some of the more just mobile ones, he can get on to some twos and, and truer threes. But you can also put him on these bigger explosive fours. He's stronger than a lot of people realize, I believe. He, his just physical profile is is ridiculous and, and just infinite, infinitely promising there. When you move forward, you'd like to see him maybe be a little bit more self-sufficient um, on the offensive end. If he's going to ever play a ton of minutes at the four, and about a quarter of his minutes have come there this season, you'd like to see him get the defensive rebounding rate up. He's under 10 right now. But I just, his defensive execution and the fact that it's come under such an extensive workload on that side of the ball that that really just sold me on him and he's been one of my favorite rookies to watch all year all right you ready to move on to the second team yeah so we'll just go with mine first i had kyle kuzma and i already justified why um all right recapping i want to recap my first team real quick i had simmons mitchell tatum ball and kuzma you had Simmons, Mitchell, Tatum, Ball, and Ananobi. Yes, sir. And second team, you have Kuzma. I am going to start with John Collins for my second team. Um, his minutes for the first half of the season, at least, maybe even more than that, were super frustrating. I thought it was fairly obvious that he was one of Atlanta's better players. I think he needed more time to be on the floor and develop. Um, they're kind of doing that. Now, although it's it's hard to get a handle on anything that's happening in Atlanta now, that's one of those teams that's clearly attempting to lose games at this point. But even with his role sort of all over the place this season, here are the rookies in NBA history who matched or exceeded Collins' points, rebounds, and blocks per minute. Uh, and I sorted this one by field goal percentage. So it's John Collins first, Shaquille O'Neal. Tim Duncan, Carl Anthony Towns, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, uh, Ralph Sampson, Alonzo Mourning, Robert Parrish, and Sean Kemp. Just oh, geez. Incredibly elite company. Um, when he's on the floor, he is super productive. Last year at Wake Forest, he had – I, I should have looked this up before we started recording. If it wasn't the best PER 
since College Basketball Reference started tracking it, it was near the top. I think maybe Anthony Davis had a better one than him. Um, and even though he was a sophomore last season, he was younger than a lot of the freshmen who were coming out. When, the, when this guy is on the floor, he is super productive. Um, I was very tempted to have him on the first team over Kyle Kuzma, but just the fact that he was sort of kept off the floor by no fault of his own. I, I wound up going with Kuzma in the first team, but this guy is incredibly productive to me. And as I'm making his case for second team, I'm kind of kicking myself for not keeping him on the first. <laughs> he made second team for me too. Uh, and he's just, he's been fun to watch. It's he just, there seems like so many things that he has the ability to do. I'm wondering what his specialty is eventually going to become, or what is he going to be known for? Is he going to be just sort of a jack of all these different trades? The His offensive ceiling is going to be something that I'm really interested to watch. Can he do more than He's be been this corner guy? threes lately too? I was wow, way to just ruin the stat. Sorry, sorry, I was sorry. about to drop. <laughs> he he could end up just being like this lob finisher, a guy they use out of the pick and roll, but he's shooting um, for the season, and they've kind of experimented with this more. He's 12 of 33 on corner threes, and he's that, like, that's not bad. That's something to work with overall. He's 15 um, of 41 on threes overall for the year. That's a promising sign. He is also shooting – 43.2% between 10 and 14 feet. So he might be able to make those quicker decisions, kind of stop and pop, throw up a floater or these jump hooks if he needs to long-term, and that will help him expand his offensive horizon, uh, horizons, especially if he's going to be a standstill shooter in any way. Also, I've been impressed. It's been very rare, but he's kind of flashed these straight-line handles or even – slightly I don't even know what the word would be from an these angle handles when he's from the outside that would have made a younger Serge Ibaka super envious and that'll help his offensive development I'm also curious to see what he turns into defensively though I still think unless he's really going to develop an off the bounce game he's probably best suited at center and the Hawks have not been good in the minutes he's played at the five this year. Uh, 1,309 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass. Offensive rating under 100. Not too concerned about that just because of their personnel, but their defensive rating is 113.2 when he plays the center spot. That, again, could change if if you have different personnel around him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm, I want to see if he can ever be the anchor of a good defense. He's not a fantastic rim protector right now. He's a good rebounder and he's going to give up some inches, but he's, he's adept at kind of grabbing those balls midair, uh, sort of like Dwayne Dedman does too. So he, he kind of uses his, not as long as Dwayne Dedman, but he's going to use his springboard bounce to really out rebound guys who are larger than him. But I do want to see one, where does his offensive game game go from here and two can he spend serious time at the center spot do you want to do your next second team all rookie um i'll defer to you since i commandeered the first one with kuzma bogdan bogdanovich uh is next on second team for me he's been near the top uh of this rookie class in offensive real plus minus for most of the season um Rookies who took at least 200 threes and matched Bogdan's assist and three-point percentage. This, li- this list is kind of funny, actually. There's a couple that are 
eh, but then there's some others that are exciting. Um, DJ Augustine, Stephen Curry, <clears throat> Brent Berry, Darren Williams, and Matt Maloney. So there's there's uh, <laughs> differing outcomes with this list for sure, but it is a le- it's it's um, rare company. I'll say I'll say it that way. He can shoot the heck out of the ball, forty um, percent from three on the season on an over, on over three hundred attempts. I think what a lot of people don't realize about him is that he can create a little bit too. He's averaging over four assists, and that's why I threw that assist percentage thing into the search that I did. Um, I think he's a pretty well-rounded player. He's he's old for a rookie. That obviously doesn't factor into this discussion. Um, just has to be his first season in the NBA. I think his all-around game, especially on offense, has been uh, enough to warrant a second-team selection. Yeah, he made my second team too for my for my third guy. I don't know what he's ever going to become defensively or if he'll ever be able to do anything defensively. But what I was most impressed with, we knew about kind of the smooth scoring ability and everything you just said there. But also, like you said, his passing ability. He is – and just his ability to run a functional pick and roll. He's in the 62nd percentile of efficiency out of the pick and roll. So having that guy who can make those smart decisions there, he's a better passer than we thought. And if you're going with someone on the Kings right now who – and I don't necessarily know that I would want anyone to kind of just take a ton of pull-up looks. He's just – which makes him even more dangerous um, out of the pick and roll. He's shooting better than 40% on pull-up threes this year. Hasn't taken a ton, but more than one per game isn't nothing. And to be at over uh, – with an effective field goal percentage of over 51, closer to 52 on pull-up jumpers at all, that's – a pretty big deal for a rookie. So he, he he made my second team as well. I believe I have three. Do you only have two second teamers right now? Where did we differ? Um, yeah, I still have three to go. I have Daniel Tice on my second team as well. You mentioned him earlier. He yeah, leads, we're not going to differ there. He leads all rookies in block percentage. To me, he's not just one of the best defenders in this rookie class. Um, he had a super small role, but when he was on the floor, he was one of the better defenders in the entire NBA. I haven't run the numbers in a while, and I think there are plenty of reasonable gripes with win shares. But at some point this season, I ran the search, and he was first in the entire NBA in defensive win shares per 48 minutes. Um, per 36 minutes, he averages almost two blocks and almost a steal and a half per game. And he's just smart on offense. Like He doesn't ever try to do too much. He can pass a little bit. He can finish around the rim. He can hit the occasional three. Um, like I said, it was in a super small role. He only played 14.9 minutes a game, but he was just so solid at every aspect of the game. Um, so he was he was actually a pretty easy inclusion for me too. He was just spectacular defensively. Yeah, He's in the, what I found fascinating, because he has the, when you watch him on defense, doesn't he have a lot of Al Horford in him, where he's just a, this oversized jitterbug on the perimeter? He, like, don't you kind of see, he's he's just so much more switchy than I think. Yeah, he can defend anywhere on the floor. In, and this is the, what caught my eye, he's in the 82nd percentile of isolation defense this season. Well, well which is just absolutely crazy. He's allowing fewer points per ISO possession in comparable volume than Joel Embiid. 
That's crazy. So yeah, that's just like, I, that's just, I like, I don't know the fact that I've never expected him. There were people who were saying, Oh, he can come in and he can switch. And I didn't see a lot of him before he entered the NBA, but looking at him and the way he's built, I just didn't see it. And then you watch him and it's, I don't mean to continue comparing him to Al Horford, but just looking at his work on the perimeter, it's one of the things that I've been most impressed by for him. So he made my, my second team as well. Another amazing find by Danny. Oh, and I'm sorry. The other thing I meant to say with him, he's also in the 91st percentile of spot up defense. He's just so quick Jeez. on closeouts. Yeah. All right, next I have Josh Hart, which is my third Laker, um, if we're counting both rookie teams. He's just another guy that's been very solid to me. He's got a defensive box plus minus over zero, a true shooting percentage near 60, three-point percentage near 40. Um, he doesn't do a ton for the Lakers, but when he's out there, he's he's smart. He generally makes the right play. He almost always hits the open three when he's open. Um, I saw an article the other day that was about how Villanova has kind of created this pipeline, not just to get players to the NBA, but to become like the solid NBA role player. And he just fits that mold perfectly uh, right out the gate as a rookie. So that was Josh Hart, my fourth second team rookie all selection. I really like him. He didn't make my rookie uh any of my rookie, all rookie teams, but I, I still do really like him. I have said this to you before, but I could kind of see him being a more under control version of KCP with some additional rebounding sprinkled in there, which is good. Did you want to give? I already gave four of my guys, so did you want to give your your fourth yes, one? I can give. Uh, I actually only have one to go. I think. Oh, you did yeah. four? Yeah, I've done all four. Right. I did Collins, Bogdanovich, Tice, and Hart. Um, so you, you give us your fifth. This, I grappled with it and I wanted to put Dennis Smith Jr. A huge part of me did at least he's been really good recently, but I, I just, and he's been shouldering an incredible workload. He has one of the 10 highest usage rates for rookies in NBA history. He's just battled so many efficiency issues that I ended up going. And then it came down between Bam Adebayo and, and Jared Allen for me. I went with Jared Allen, and I almost immediately hate myself for it. But he's just uh, – it's easy for me to justify him being here, but I just look at what uh, Bam Adebayo does defensively. He looks so good and comfortable on the perimeter. Not like a Tice, but he just knows how to use his length and keep guys in front of him. It's just with Jared Allen, I see someone who can do more offensively already. And he's a decent pick-and-roll finisher. The Nets have experimented with him hitting some or taking some threes already. He has a nice jump hook to his game. He can keep defenses guessing. If you give him the ball, he can put it on the floor uh, around the basket one or two times to kind of get guys off their feet so he's not just someone who needs to finish quickly off the catch. He's been – and James Herbert over at CBS published a fantastic piece on him. I would encourage you to go read it. He might be the Nets' center of the future. And when you're looking at a guy who isn't necessarily a unicorn, uh, that word is probably played out at this point, just because he's not going to be the switchiest defender, maybe he will shoot more threes, but he's not going to be someone like Kristaps who can just pull up from deep. At the same time, 
he would it be unfair to say that his ceiling might be someone like Clint Capella at this point, maybe a, a little bit less or a little bit inferior version of a Clint Capella. That's kind of where I see him. And so that's where I ultimately went. Adebayo came so close for me, though. I, I really want to stress that. I think just I see Allen's offensive ceiling not only higher long-term, but we've just already seen him explore more on that side of the ball. So he was ultimately the second team pick for me. Um, I had, like, the same issue uh, with the final selection. I thought about Dennis Smith. Um his usage is definitely worth mentioning, as you did, but I, I'm not sure that it was necessary for his usage to be as high as it was. I felt like Donovan Mitchell's usage, it was necessary for it to be that high. Smith had some guys that he could defer to, and he just didn't, and it led to really, really bad efficiency for most of the season. Like you said, he's been better lately, um, but the balance of the season, some of those numbers are historically ugly and and I was tempted to put him in still just because of the the raw production but I left him off um, and it came down to Jared Allen and Bam Adebayo for me too I originally had Jared Allen um, and I would agree with with just about everything that you say there for the sake of uh, a little bit of variance I'll just switch right now and say Bam because I think you can make a case for him Um, his field goal percentage is quite a bit lower than Allen's but his assist percentage, um, I actually just realized I don't have that pulled up anymore, but it's <laughs> I, pretty sure it was double um, what Jared, his assist percentage is 11.2. And maybe that's a product of the system that he plays in, in Miami, where they pass the ball a ton. Um, but for a big guy, 6'10", who I think profiled coming into the NBA as sort of like a rim roller, kind of how Jared Allen is, is used largely now in Brooklyn. For a guy like that to be averaging nearly three assists per 36 minutes is super impressive to me. He's also averaging over a block and nearly a steal per 36 minutes, 10 rebounds per 36 minutes. Um, I think he does a lot of things really, really well. I, I don't, I, my point essentially is I don't think you can go wrong either way between either one of these guys. So I'm going to go ahead um, and just to give – Bam, a little bit of love. He's going to be my fifth for second team. I think that's fine. That leaves us with, I had Collins, Bogdanovich, uh, Adebayo, Tyson, Hart. Your second team was? Oh, you're waiting for me to read it. Sorry. I had (laughs) John Collins, Kyle Kuzma, Daniel Tice, Bogdanovich, and Jared Allen. Um, Sweet. Should we jump over to all defense? Yeah, this was um, a painstaking exercise. And not just because I was trying to figure out my teams while writing about the Kawhi Leonard news. Um, it was very difficult. This one, like Dan said, is we are beholden to positions on this one. So two guards, two forwards, and a center for each team. Uh, I will kick us off with uh, – should we start with second team this time? Oh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Let's do it. My second team, and I just made this switch while we were recording. I swapped out Draymond Green for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is one of my second team forwards. He is eighth among forwards in defensive real plus minus. Milwaukee's defensive rating is almost eight points better when Giannis is on the floor. Opponents 
shoot nearly 5% worse from the field when he's defending them. And uh, one of the reasons I made the switch was, I, <laughs> first, I just feel like I needed to reward Giannis. Um, I feel like Golden State, in general, has sort of taken their foot off the gas this season. I think Draymond has a little bit too. And their raw numbers are actually really similar. Um, Draymond is averaging two steals and two blocks per 100 possessions. Giannis is averaging 1.9 steals and 1.9 blocks per 100 possessions. So they're about the same there. Um, Giannis is averaging more defensive rebounds. And really the big trump card for me on this one was Golden State's defensive rating got two points better when Draymond was on the floor. And like I already said, Milwaukee's is eight points better when Giannis is on the floor. So I ended up making that last second switch to Yanni Antetokounmpo. He is one of my second team forwards. I did not pick him as <laughs> I did not pick him for my second team. The Bucks have just their defense has been so wacky overall, and I get there's a difference between how good they are with and without him. But what impresses me about Draymond Green, and this is I'm just like crapping all over a spoiler at this point <laughs> he still elevates a warriors defense that's sixth in points allowed per 100 possessions it's a lot harder to do that than to elevate a milwaukee bucks team that is just not good defensively overall w- what are they defensive rating i think they're 19th they're close to bottom 10 so it's easier for a quality defender to kind of separate himself there than it would be for what Draymond Green has done with Golden State. And I agree that Draymond Green has kind of taken his foot off the gas. But when you look at the forward position um, and the defense's body of work, I, I could the case for Green is just still clearly there for me. Um, I ended up going, I'll give a, since you gave a forward, I'll give a forward. I went with Jimmy Butler, who, according to Cleaning the Glass, has, and that's who I use for positional designations, um, Uh, he's played most of his minutes at small forward this year. That's why I'm going with him. The Wolves have been a good defensive when he's on the floor. This season, when he's playing, they have a 105.3 defensive rating, which is about average. It's at the very least not terrible. It's, It's close to the top 10. It would rank in the top 12. When you look at the personnel they have with Towns, who is hot and cold on that end of the floor, depending on the day, with Andrew Wiggins. Jeff Teague isn't really spectacular uh, defensively either. To have that, I know he plays with Taj Gibson, but to really just be the the heartbeat or the, the only separation between what is a slightly above-average defense and then a truly terrible defense because they give up 113 points with per 100 possessions without him on the court, which would by far and away be the worst mark in the NBA, lower than even the purposely tanking Phoenix Suns. So I went with him there just because he's he's dealing with the injury. His He'll still end up with a ton of minutes this season because he plays for Tom Thibodeau, but I, I just can't pay attention to those absences when you look at how good he's been and, and just how important he's been to Minnesota's defense. I had him second team as well, only I had him as a guard. Um, basketball Reference has him as a guard. ESPN has him as a guard, and I just think that him and Wiggins are interchangeable, so I took that opportunity to give myself another forward spot, which I used on Kyle Anderson. He is my other second team forward. He is second among forwards in defensive real plus minus right now. 
No one in the NBA matches his steal percentage, block percentage, and defensive rebounding percentage. Um, he's just such a Spursian player. He does everything on defense. It's it's fun to watch him play because he, he really is slow-mo. There's a reason he has that nickname. But he's just so quick and crafty defensively. Like He knows when to poke his hand on a guy that's driving past him or into a passing lane. He's just... Just a really smart, crafty defender. He's my other second team forward. Yeah, I, I picked him too. He was my other second team forward. And he just, he seems to throw, it's all about anticipation with him. It's kind of similar to what Joe Ingles does, but maybe mm-hmm. on a little bit of a higher level. Um, so yeah, he was easily my second team forward. There's there's just not much to add there. Other than when he plays the four with LaMarcus Aldridge at the five, the Spurs have been spectacular at, at both ends of the floor. And that might be an interesting blueprint for them to explore in the postseason. All right, I already said Jimmy Butler is one of my guards. I will move on to my other guard, who is Jalen Brown. Um, a big reason I will admit I went with him is because, spoiler alert, he's my only Boston Celtic um, on either team. And they've had the best defense basically the entire season. I had to get somebody from that defense into one of these teams. But I think I could still make a, a strong argument for him personally just on his own merits. He's ninth among guards in defensive real plus minus. Um, Opponents shoot, get this, almost seven percentage points worse uh, when guarded by Jalen Brown. When you're guarded by Jalen Brown, you shoot about 38.5%, which is just crazy. He's uh, There's four or five different guys you could pick for Boston. Um, That defense has just been insane all season long. I'm very comfortable making Jalen Brown sort of my representative for them I was I basically chose it by that same logic FYI which sound because I refuse to classify Al Horford as a power forward which is why he's not on this list otherwise he would be and you ha- I think you have to recognize the Celtics and I don't I'm not brazen enough to include Tice who probably qualified as a center anyway I think his minutes have been put pretty split there the thing I'll add it really helps their identity that you can switch him on to pick and roll ball handlers. Like I said before, it's not something Tatum can do. And if you look at the 96 guys who have, who average on average defend at least three pick and roll ball handler possessions per game, he is seventh in opponent effective field goal percentage at just over 36. And that's in front of guys like Drew Holiday, who received consideration for this, Fred Van Vliet, who's been great this season. So I, he's kind of, he does a lot of things that good defensive point guards would do and then yet he also does a lot of things that good wing defenders would do that's a yeah i think that's a good thing to add his versatility i think is a big part of this um we don't have your other guard yet right no so i'll throw him in there i'm with chris paul he's only played in 55 games as of this recording but chris paul is just a defensive monster and i probably would have considered him for for first team had he just played a little bit more um, I, I just, the Rockets have a top eight defense. He's a big part of that. He helps them hide James Harden even further because he is going to, he's really strong for what he does. So if the point guard is the weaker, um, of the defensive opponents, they're, they're just, I mean, Luke and Bamrud helps and he got consideration from, for me, obviously not the guard position. I just, Chris Paul is just, he hounds people. It's And after all these years in the NBA, looking at his age, he's going to turn 33 in May, to still be defending at the level that he does and to just be so exhausting in harassing opponents, that's just incredible to me. 
Yeah, I, t- I was tempted to put him there too. He did not make the cut for me, and I just gave another spoiler. My center for second team all defense, Joel Embiid, third among centers in defensive real plus minus. Fun side note, uh, number two among centers is Yusuf Nurkic, who I gave some consideration to, but I ultimately went with Embiid. Um, Philadelphia's defensive rating is 4.6 points better when Embiid's on the floor. And I was impressed by Jalen Brown holding opponents to seven points worse, uh, field goal percentage when he guards them. Joel Embiid holds opponents to eight points worse field goal percentage when he guards them. Um, he's just a monster defensively. You made the case for him defensive player of the year, which I think is it's it's probably still a reasonable one, even with his absence. He's been a, a monster on defense all season, and he is my second team center. He was my second team center too. I don't have anything to add to what he does defensively other than one of the things that separated him for me in the defensive player of the year conversation before uh, he suffered his latest injury, which I think clearly makes the award Gobert's to lose, is that he does a little bit more work on the perimeter than Gobert. He's in the 84th percentile of spot-up defense, and 15% of all the plays he defends are are spot-up shooters. So I, I just That's appreciate impressive. that. Yeah, he's more switchable or can do more work on the perimeter, and he's faster on closeouts than we really talk about. And his rim protection deserves to dominate the discussion. He's an actual deterrent like Gobert. And Gobert can be sneaky on the perimeter too because he's Gobert is super long. But I just that's what one of the things that distinguished him there for me um, before his latest injury. I think with Gobert, it's almost like sometimes he doesn't want to be out there. <laughs> his well, the design, well, their yeah, defensive design too, is different sure. too. They but just I, funnel guys find, towards the paint. Yeah. If you're going to find a weakness, it's it's centers who can really shoot threes. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and say that Gobert is my first team center. Well, let me recap really quick. Oh, good call. Um, for my all-NBA defense second team, I had Chris Paul and Jalen Brown as my guards, Kyle Anderson and Jimmy Butler as my forwards, and Joel Embiid as my center. I had Jalen Brown and Jimmy Butler guards, Kyle Anderson and Yanni Antetokounmpo forwards, Joel Embiid center. My first team center is Rudy Gobert. He is first overall in defensive real plus minus this season. And the gap is is pretty large between him and second, which is Andre Roberson, who, despite playing in fewer than 40 games, I was tempted to put him on one of these teams. He was really, really good. Um, Utah's defensive rating with Gobert on the floor is 7.3 points better. Um, Cousins and Davis both on the Pelicans, only players in the NBA who defend more shots per game than Rudy Gobert. Um, And he does hold people to a lower field goal percentage than average when he's guarding them. He is just a massive deterrent on defense. And beyond the numbers, like if you watch the Jazz play, there are so many possessions when somebody drives into the paint, sees him there and turns around. Or if they go for a shot and he, you know, suddenly appears out of nowhere, as he often does, they have to completely change their shot um, you know, mid form and, and miss. Um, it's incredible the impact that he has on defense and he's, he's my first team center and I won't spoil it, but <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, you already know who my defensive player of the year pick is. I, for one, am shocked that you pick Michael Beasley for defensive player <laughs> of the year. And I mean, that, 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 that could come as a surprise to a few people. 
Um, I just had Gobert as well. There's there's really just nothing to add to that. And I, I would agree with you, particularly with the Joel Embiid injury. I think Gobert had a case because of the minutes threshold he was approaching to win Defensive Player of the Year anyway. But with the Joel Embiid injury, there's just no one that comes even close to what he does. And the fact that he's his rim protection, uh, and I said this before, but they the Jazz him inside. And he's just putting up these. It's not just even the volume. He's saving so much value there despite facing so many shots. And there are only a handful of I, – I don't even – throughout NBA history, I think, who could anchor defenses to the degree that he has doing something like that in such a high-volume role. Yeah, I think he's a pretty easy one. Um, my first first-team forward is Anthony Davis. Uh, New Orleans defense is 5.5 points better when he's on the floor. He's third among forwards in defensive real plus minus, and he leads the league in blocks per game. Um, he's He's been a monster. I don't know what else I can say, especially since DeMarcus Cousins went down. He's He is the clear anchor on both sides of the ball for that team. And for him to have such a positive impact on defense with everything that he has to do on the other end of the floor is just super impressive to me. I would have considered him, but I'm going to – I don't – again, I don't want to provide more spoilers, but he's logged more time. According to Clean the Glass, he has 57% of his minutes at power forward still and 43% at center. I kind of feel like – and I haven't done my All-NBA teams yet, but I'm going to want to use him as a center. So I don't want to use him as a forward here just because it's convenient and then put him as a center. And since I'm going to view him as a center, he's obviously not going to beat out Embiid or Gobert. I picked Draymond Green, which Draymond Green has not been as good defensively as normal this year. And something that should probably concern the Warriors is that in the 696 possessions he's played at center for the season – their defensive rating, Andy, and get this, 117 when he's at center. Yikes. That, yeah, their offensive rating is actually better than that because, of course, but that's yeah. something to consider. I still, even though he's not doing as much work defensively, I still feel like he's doing so much. He's going to guard a bunch of pick-and-roll ball handlers. He's going to close out on spot-up shooters. He's going to contest shots at the rim. He is allowing opponents to shoot 58%. At the rim, which is higher than last year, and that's a concern. But as I said before, he takes a Warriors defense that ranks, and people would say they've underachieved. They rank sixth in points allowed per 100 possessions, or you could say they're tied with the Raptors for fifth since they're both at 103.6. And the Warriors are actually stingier with him on the floor. They allow 102.8 points per 100 possessions, which would be good enough for a clear top five finish. I just think we need to appreciate still – all the different hats he wears, even though he hasn't been as effective as he was in seasons past, especially last year. Totally fair. Like I said, I actually had him um, on my second team up until the very, very last minute when I threw that curveball in here. Um, so, I mean, this it's so close <laughs> at all these positions. I can totally see Draymond Green being first team. Um, my other forward is Robert Covington. He is first among forwards in defensive real plus minus, um, small forwards and power forwards. Philadelphia's defensive rating is 7.6 points better when he's on the floor. Um, but here's the really crazy number to me. Generally, if you pull 76ers players away from Joel Embiid, um, their numbers get <laughs> a lot worse. 
And Philadelphia's defensive rating when Embiid and Covington are both on the floor is comfortably under 100. Um, but when Covington is on the floor without Embiid, their defensive rating is still 101.2, um, which would be I'm pretty sure first in the league. Uh, if not there, certainly close. Um, and he's, you can't say that about just about any other Philadelphia 76ers player. The fact that they can still have an elite defense when Embiid is out, um, that to me is a testament to Robert Covington, who just does, he does everything <laughs> defensively. We talked about guys who can guard multiple positions. He can certainly do that. He can block shots occasionally. He gets into passing lanes super well. Um, it's nice that he can knock down threes, but his his true value is what he does defensively. Um, he he is a very easy selection for first team for me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you right there. He's uh, he's just great for what they do. I don't even really have anything to add to what you said. Um, he's good in one-on-one situations. He's been a little bit shaky in the post when he's been not sure. I didn't look this up actually, and I should have. I'd I'd be curious to see how much time he spent at power forward. I'm guessing not a lot, and if that would be a clear pathway just for them to be a little bit like just soup up their offense would be to put him at the four and can he kind of anchor those units but when you look at the personnel on their team it really doesn't need to work that way I think what kind of helps him it's fun seeing what he's been able to do on a team that has just capable NBA players you know having Ben Simmons having Joel Embiid but it's like you said that their defensive rating is so good with him even when Embiid's off the floor and I just looked it up according to clean the glass 103 defensive rating when he plays power forward which he's played more for almost 1200 possessions I honestly didn't see that coming 103 is very good this year that's top five so he's been great he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the game and I do think we're probably not giving him as much love if Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid isn't on this team because they do help him and they've helped simplified his role with both of them being healthy. That still, to me, just doesn't take anything away from him because he's still going to be, yeah, sometimes he trades off with the toughest perimeter assignments with Ben Simmons, but he spends a lot of time on some of the toughest scores, the best scores in the league. All right. my Next we go to guards. I have DeJounte Murray. Um, a second-year player is already – I think a comfortable first team all defense, um, at least in my opinion. He's first among guards in defensive real plus minus. And here's the list of players who had a season with at, at least as high a steal percentage, block percentage, and defensive rebounding percentage um, as DeJounte Murray this season. And I sorted it by height. Uh, David Robinson, seven foot one. Hakeem Olajuwon, Two such seasons, he's seven feet tall. Cole Aldrich, that incredible clip, Clipper season that got him paid a lot of money, six foot eleven. Sean, how Kemp, many minutes did he log that season? Less than nine hundred, right? Uh, Eight hundred. Okay. Um, but it said he qualified for the minutes per game leaderboard, so he, we we would even eliminate him if I bumped it up to like a, a thousand minute qualifier. Um, so Cole Aldrich, six foot eleven. Sean Kemp, six foot ten. Ben Wallace, six foot nine. Dewan Blair, six foot seven. Charles Barkley, six foot six. And then we get to DeJounte Murray, six foot five. Nine total seasons in NBA history with at least a high a steal percentage, block percentage, and defensive rebounding percentage um, as what Murray is doing this season. He's the shortest of the bunch. 
Uh, he is a super interesting player. You you run searches with Dejounte Murray, you're almost always bringing back uh, defensive juggernauts who are big men, which is super interesting to me. Um, he's got some things to figure out to I think be like a true lock as San Antonio's point guard of the future. Defense is not one of them. Um, he's a he is a monster defensively already. He he absolutely is, and he's just he's so long. He's going to be able to do so many things. I wouldn't even he's going to be able to guard. And he's in San Antonio, which they don't always explore the depths of everyone's skill set. I you know ergo how much time will Kawhi Leonard ever spend at the four, assuming he's still in San Antonio <laughs> next season. But but that's a little bit of a a different discussion. He is just I, I we forget he's only a sophomore too. Like we just yeah, we just crazy. forget he he's already saved more than 115 points on the defensive end this year, and he's just his defensive rebounding there is is going to help him. But to be so polished there to improve a team that's just very consistently been in the top three, top two of defense all year, and the Spurs are what are they? They're fourth in defensive. They dropped out. So to be that valuable though to a a top five defense already is just it's really incredible to me and he ranks talking about defensive points saved and this is again because of his rebounding he ranks in the top 12 of total defensive points saved this year and if you look at the guys who are a member of the top 12 also they're all just bigs and forwards except for russell westbrook who is there because he grabs a a crap ton of defensive rebounds all right, my last guard and last player, um, Victor Oladipo, second among guards behind DeJounte Murray in defensive real plus minus. He leads the league in steals per game. Um, Indiana's defense is 7.6 points better when Oladipo's on the floor. And he is in the 90th percentile defending ISOs and the 85th percentile defending pick and rolls. Um, his offensive explosion has, has probably gotten the most press uh this season which is understandable he's turned into like a legitimate superstar player um a big part of his overall impact comes from the defensive side though and and he is my other guard for the first team all defense he's a sneaky good defensive rebounder too for a guard defensive rebounding rate north of 15 his block percentage is two which is also extremely good for a guard uh he leads the league in steal percentage with 3.4 that's qualified players obviously that's and something to consider is that while the pacers started off so hot offensively their defense has sort of carried them of late they rank seventh in points allowed per 100 possessions since the turn of the calendar january 1st victor oladipo as you said with his on off splits has been a big part of that and just a shoe in to win out we shouldn't be spoiling our eventual award shows but just a shoe in for most improved player because he's he's i i know you hate this phrase but he's a two-way stud at this point <laughs> and i think because of what he's done offensively so much of what he's actually been able to do defensively for a pacers team that has also flown under the radar lately defensively it's just astounding for the record i don't hate the way that you used it um, it would annoy me if somebody said Victor Oladipo is the best two-way player in the game because <laughs> his two-way impact does not equal James Harden, no matter how bad he is on defense. But I had, that's a tangent. I had no, I- yeah, I had no <laughs> idea he was blocking 
two percent that is impressive two pointers he he can test i just had no that's a career high obviously he was at 1.9 during his final year in orlando he's always just consistently gotten steals but there was always kind of the question can he do it for an elite defensive team and okc was there last year i believe they were in the top 10 of points allowed per 100 possessions but now he's almost i wouldn't say almost he actually is indispensable on defense to a Pacers team that ranks seventh in defensive rating since January 1st. All right. To recap, I had Oladipo and Murray as my guards for the first team. Uh, Robert Covington and Anthony Davis as my forwards and Rudy Gobert as my center. My five on the first team were eerily similar. DeJounte Murray and Victor Oladipo as the guards. My forwards are Robert Covington and Draymond Green. Maybe I'll catch flack from that from basketball nerds, but I still appreciate just so all the hats he can wear defensively even when he's not at full bore. And then Rudy Gobert, of course, was my center. All right. We just went through first and second team all defense, first and second team all rookie. If you have problems with any of our selections, <laughs> um, hit us up on Twitter. You know Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Uh, review the show. Rate the show. Tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, if they do not, pilfer their phone. Subscribe for them. And they will be so, so grateful in the end that you did that. Um, again, visit NBA.com or NBAMath.com slash shop. Enter the promo code Benno, B-E-N-O to get 15% off anything from the NBA math shop. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Oudry. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.